I, uh, I don't really know how to introduce Rhonda Frazier. Um, you know, there's some people that you have to think of something to say, and then there are other people where you have to kind of go, okay, you have to kind of go, okay, if I say all of that, they won't have time to actually say anything, uh, get up here. Um, well, let me just say that, uh, in a church of outstanding people, she's outstanding. And she laughs at all my jokes. So, uh, okay, there you go. Uh, what, well, Rhonda Frazier? I didn't know it, but Ronnie uh, said that using, Pastor Ronnie said that using a stool was called Scott Asher in it. So that's a, that's a thing now for Scott. For, yeah, we were. When, we'll pray in a, in a bit, and we've, we've prayed for the Um When Barbie asked me to participate in, uh, in this series, um, I said yes right away, and um, uh, and she, she told me, you know, waterfall testimonies and uh, to share, you know, how God had worked in your life. And I just, uh, I began to reflect, and you can sort of begin to think, and when you look at your life, you think it really seems very ordinary. Um, but I knew right away that there, were, that there was one story that I was supposed to tell because it was so impactful and so shaped uh, who I am. And, and, man, it's just been really fun. Uh, reminiscing with the Lord and looking for the spots that he wanted me to talk about. And um, and so he gave me three stories uh, that I felt I was supposed to share with you. Uh, so some of my life will be kind of woven in and out of here, but I'm going to share three stories. But as would happen, uh, I got all my stories down on paper and was working with them. And, uh, and then Saturday morning, I was reading over my manuscript, and I was like, this is awful. <laughs> this is nothing. This is, this, is, this is my story, so what does it even mean? It has no... And wouldn't you know that just that earlier that week, on March the 10th, I got a new devotion book in the mail. And this is my beautiful new devotion book that I just want to pet. It's named of Saber. It's a beautiful fabric cover by Shauna Nyquist. And because the name is Saver, I was trying, I was going to do what it was designed to do, 365 devotions, and I was going to just take them one day at a time and just read one essay at a time because that's how it was designed, and I like to do rules. So, I, um, so that's what I was going to do. And I, on Saturday morning, I was like, I did my Saturday, and I think this is good. And I, I need some encouragement here. I need some more stuff. And a lot of her writing style. And so I wanted to go forward, but I knew I wasn't supposed to. But it was okay to go backwards. So I went backwards. And I just flipped back to the beginning of February. And this is what showed up on February the 2nd. What I read on Saturday morning when I was having mounds of self-doubt about what I was supposed to share with you. February the 2nd. Your story is enough. Joel 1, 2, and 3. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. And uh, Shauna writes, When I worked at church a few years ago, it was my job to help people tell their stories on Sunday mornings at our gatherings. And a funny thing happened. 
When we were at the coffee shop, when it was just me and their story, their story came out in fits and starts, unvarnished and raw. We cried and we laughed, and every time I was amazed at what God had done in this person's life. And then almost every time, when they arrived on Sunday, they looked a little less like themselves. They were kind of distant, polished, fancy version of themselves. And when they walked up on stage, they sounded a lot less like themselves. They stopped believing that their story was enough. And they started saying all the phrases and quoting all the verses we've heard a thousand times. They did it because we as a community have trained ourselves to believe that our story isn't enough. I could not disagree more. We dilute the beauty of the gospel story when we divorce it from our lives, our world, the world and images that God is writing right now on our souls. What is the story that God is writing in your life? and in your soul. So I was set free in a little waterfall moment on Saturday morning to, to just go ahead and tell you my stories. So I, uh, um, I grew up in Gaffney, South Carolina, which is a small town in the Piedmont area. And if that means nothing to you, you probably learned that South Carolina was pie-shaped. So we're near the cross, okay, of the pie. So I'm up in, uh, and uh, and it was a small I'm a small town. If you go to Gaffney, you're going to get there by driving through Interstate 85, and you're going to see the million gallon water peach water peach uh, uh, water tank that's in the shape of a peach, because we're the home of the South Carolina Peach Festival, and we grow more peaches and better peaches than Georgia. I don't care. I'm not going to about that. That's mine. Okay. So uh, we've got the peach water tower, and it's and in fact, my world was pretty small. My dad still lives in the home that we moved into when I was three years old. My grandmother, because it was four miles out of town, she said we'd move to the fifth. But, um, so there, you know, it, it was a little place, and my high school was small. My, my, my elementary schools were, were all little, you know, small communities. In fact, my view of the world was quite small. So small, in fact, that when I was growing up, and probably longer than I would like to admit, I thought the war between the North and the South was between North and South Carolina. But I had no idea what we were arguing or fighting about that would cause a war besides the fact that we probably didn't agree on the kind of barbecue sauce you should use. So, um, I, you know, small world. Thankfully, God has expanded my horizons um, as I have grown. I got saved when I was six years old, and that's how I got in the river. So we're going to talk about my waterfalls once I got in the river. I got saved when I was six. Baptized in the Holy Spirit because I went to the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. I didn't know you had to say Cleveland, Tennessee at the end of it when I was growing up because I thought it was the only church there was. And uh, But now I know that there are other churches like that. So you have to say Cleveland, Tennessee because that's where its headquarters is. I'm not talking too fast, probably. Um, just listen back to you. That's why I tell my students all the time. I'm talking too fast. Listen back. So, uh, so I... Uh, I grew up in this, and if you don't know the Church of God, the Church of God is a sister denomination to the Assemblies of God. Let me rephrase that. She's the more conservative sister to the Assembly of God uh, denomination. So uh, the first pair of pants I owned was after I went to college. The first movie I saw was after I went to college. The first ring I owned was my engagement ring because my high school graduation uh, thing was not a ring but a lapel pin. I should have brought that tonight. I should have worn that in honor of all of that. But it was, it was beautiful. It was, a, it was a beautiful little congregation there. And my, um, I got saved when I was six, baptized in the Broad River, 
in Blacksburg, South Carolina by G.W. Spencer, who had to remind me to breathe before he dunked me because I started holding my breath the minute my ankles got wet as we walked out. I, I remember that. He looked down at me, breathe, breathe. Because I was... <laughs> so that, that, was, that was it. And um, so I, uh, as I grew up in that small congregation, uh, and this was the, uh, my dad got saved after me, but I don't ever remember my dad not being a believer, even, you know, because he was a good man, but uh, he hadn't, he didn't give his heart to the Lord until after, until after I did, actually. But once my dad gave his heart to the Lord, uh, we had three things in our life. We had family, we had church, we had school or work, and we put those together because you know, if you were an adult or the child, that's for that one. And they didn't always come in that order. Um, we, uh, we did everything church. Church was the center of our lives. And uh, my dad wasn't a pastor. A lot of people tried to get him to be a pastor, but uh, he, he felt like that uh, it was our job as lay people to serve the body of Christ. And that's what we did. I slept on pews and under pews and in classrooms while my parents painted and pulled up carpet and laid carpet and installed bag trees and did all the things that you do in a small church and served and served and served. And they, my parents modeled for me a life of service and a laying down of your life uh, to your local congregation. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. I don't, think, I don't uh, um, begrudge that at all. It was, it was a, a beautiful thing. What was lacking in the 70s as I, as I grew up in that small congregation was what I might say was pretty, was even teaching. And this is going to come up later in one of my stories. So let me just tell you that I can only describe it as saying that I probably grew up eternally insecure. So uh, here's some amens or some yeah, oh, oh yeah, out there. So my Baptist friends who talked about eternal security, was, that was like a foreign concept to me. Because I, I grew up, you know, uh, my mother called it riding the altar to heaven, which didn't mean you were getting there fully in the presence of God, and you shouldn't get saved every Sunday. You know? That you had to go over and over and over. My sister and I, after, uh, after my mother passed away, my sister and I, my younger sister, uh, she, my younger sister Bridget is 13 years younger than me, my older sister Teresa is, Three and a half years older than me. Teresa is a little less humorous than Bridget and I. And uh, so she, she didn't think this was funny, but we, we said that we grew up believing that you were a white lie and a car wreck away from busted hell wide open. That's kind of, you know, that's kind of how we grew up. You know, you were, you were, your salvation was so tenuous that that's how it was. So, and speaking of my, my younger sister Bridget, uh, you heard me, she's 13 years younger than I am, and you can guarantee that I played that middle child card the minute she was born. Uh, because I was now the middle child, 13 years baby, but there's, there's another one, I'm the middle child. So that can give you a little insight into my personality and my problems. So, um, so I grew up in the 70s, so there was some uneven teaching. I heard a lot of sermons about hell and about a lot of salvation sermons, a lot of sermons about how we filled with the Holy Spirit, a lot of sermons on eschatology, on the tribulation and the rapture and uh, end times. And I, 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 I took classes on that as a teenager because that's what we did in the late 70s. And a lot of that, that, that was our diet. Not a lot of diet on, not a lot of meat on how to walk with Jesus well. And so I, I grew up in the, with this sort of unevenness to my a, a new new scripture, um, new about new story, new scriptures, new new that but applying it to my life a little a little less 
uh, maturity there. So um, that's, that's, that, that's the back story to, to where I'm going. So let me tell you about my autumn. Okay, so I was, uh, so this has three parts, so you, so you won't feel like you're, this is going to last forever. There's an ottoman, there's parasites, and there's a tightrope. Okay, so that's where we're going. Um, I know, they're so excited now. Okay, so um, <laughs> for the ottoman, this is what happened. I was on a sickly child. Um, you know, now, if I, if I were doing this now, I, the doctor might actually diagnose me as having slight asthma or something, but I, there was a season of time in early elementary school that I had trouble breathing. And these episodes of not being able to breathe well always happened at night. So therefore, I was very fearful of the night. I was, uh, I was afraid to go to sleep because I had this really heavy feeling in my chest. I cannot even count the number of evenings that my mom and dad were awakened from their sleep. They both worked outside the home. Awakened from their sleep, only they had to go bowl a kettle of water, pour it in the sink, throw a bunch of big vapor rub in there, me with a towel over my head, breathing in, trying to open my bronchial passages because I couldn't breathe. And one of these episodes was so bad that I was hospitalized for about five days uh, when I was in the second grade. Um, and so that was a recurring thing, this breathing issue that I had. And one, then they usually happened in night. One Sunday morning, though, we were all dressed and ready for church, about to walk out the door, and I started having issues, uh, wheezing and uh, struggling to breathe. And I'm walking into the den, and I'm struggling, and my episode is like slowing down the progress to get out the door. Now, there's one, there's hardly anything that my dad hates worse than being late, and being late to church is the worst thing of all. So this was a problem if I was going to have trouble breathing. And I had just been in the hospital, I mean, I had been in the hospital earlier and all kinds of, so my dad, in, the, in our den, he didn't raise his fist, but he lets out this roar in the room. And it would frighten some people, and it might have frightened me at the time, except the Lord turned it. And he let out this roar that said, I am sick and tired of this. And he wasn't angry with me or sick and tired of me at that particular moment or other time, I'm sure. But he was, he was sick and tired of what was happening to me. And he picked me up and he sat me down on the ottoman in our den. And he asked my mother to go get uh, oil. And he got the oil, they got oil and they, they prayed for me. They laid, laid hands, my, my older sister and my mom and my dad, and they prayed for me in our den, there on the ottoman. And my breathing settled, and we got on out to church, and you know, went on with our day. And I didn't have another asthmatic bronchitis episode for 20 years. And the only, when, they, when the next one happened was because I had foolishly given a home to two cats, to which I was highly allergic. And I was pregnant, and that exacerbated the allergies. And so once I gave the cat to another home and was no longer pregnant with Daniel, it went away again. Um, so, uh, so, so that's my that's my first waterfall. You cannot, at least for me, I could not experience that kind of miraculous encounter. Was it life threatening? No, not my asthma was not. Some asthma is. Some it is life threatening. It wasn't. But God showed up. In my home, when I found a laying on the hands, and it, it colored 
everything else about how I prayed for people. Did I expect everybody to get healed? No. But nobody could take that away from me. That was mine. And then I might doubt later the supernatural power of God. I could go back to the Ottoman. Because I had a place where God showed up and met me in a miraculous way. So let's fast forward a few years out of my elementary years. But, uh, through high school, I uh, I ran with the intelligentsia of Gaffney High School. Um, so, uh, and I had big plans. I was going to, uh, I, I had made a college choice that was going to impress my friends and make my teachers proud. And I was so stoked to go away to school. And then I got a letter in the mail that said all the, ba the basket that I put all my eggs into called the College of Charleston did not want my eggs. And they were just fine with me not being a student there and I was rejected. I had no backup plan. I did not apply to a second school. This was in the spring of my senior year because I was going to the College of Charleston by Frankie.
because I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And if you don't want your kids, if you're a teen or, uh, or you know somebody, if you don't want them to go to Lee University, don't send them to me. Okay, because that's all they're going to hear from me is how great it is. Um, so, uh, so I ended up at Lee, and, and it was. It was exactly where I was supposed to be. Uh, it was four hours away from home. My parents dropped me off at no car. Uh, no car on campus. My parents drove off with all my other, with, you know, in, in a van and left me there with my belongings. Met a, walked in to meet a roommate from Florida who I had never seen before in my entire life. But it was fabulous. It was fabulous. Great time of maturity and, and encounters with the Word and the Lord. And, uh, and then this happened. So, uh, this is the parasite. So I am a, I'm a, I'm a freshman who is planning to be a, a pre-med major, sort of, but to do that, we don't really have a pre-med, you know, category at least at this time. So to do that, you're either a chemistry major or a biology major, so I was going to do both. So I was a double major in chemistry and biology with a minor in Bible, because if you did all this, you, you couldn't graduate without having a minor in Bible uh, from Lee. So I, uh, so that's my course, except the school is so small, and the science department even smaller, that in order to make sure you got all the classes in the right categories and things, you, uh, you had to be careful about your science classes because some of them they only offer every other year. So you could get out of sync and like have to go an extra year to school or something like that if you, if you messed it up. So you had to work real carefully about that. So in the spring of my freshman year, second semester freshman, there's a class offered called parasitology. It's an upper-level class, it's a 400-level class, and I asked for permission to take that class because, you know, I can do that. So I did. I got permission to take the 400-level class without further prerequisites, and I'm in there, and there are tons of people because it's a small school, and, um, but everybody, I think there might, be, there might have been one other freshman, I can't remember if my friend Tammy was in there or not, but if she was the most, the rest were upper, upper class, and many of these guys were about ready to graduate, Several of them were going on to medical school uh, and had already been accepted, and at our, you know dental school. They were they were and they were graduate school, so it was a pretty pretty uh, brainy bunch that was in there. And uh, so it was going really, it was going really well. I loved the class. Dr. Riley, who still teaches at Lee, uh, was uh, was a professor, and it was a lot of fun. And then we had the lab, the spring lab that we had to do, which was the, the biggest uh, the biggest lab of, the, of that particular course. And I'm going to spare you some of the details. Well, this is the grossest lab I did my whole entire college career. Um, because we had to go in, we went into the lab, and our job was to collect and categorize and draw and do all the things that you do in the lab to parasites that we were collecting from a freshly dead specimen. So, I go in, I'm all excited, the lab is super stinky, and it's not formaldehyde, by the way, because these are freshly dead, they're not preserved. <laughs> so the smells are all very different from formaldehyde. If you've got that smell in your brain, just let that go, because that's not it, okay? So, um, so, so I go in, and I start looking, I start looking at my specimen, and I start, you know, examining that critter, and, uh, and, I got nothing. That is the cleanest stray dog in Bradley County. Not a flea, not a tick, not a heartworm, not an intestinal parasite, nothing. I got nothing. My brain is rotten. 
I did what any good parasitology student would do, I excused myself from the lab, and as soon as the door closed behind me, I ran down the hall and went to the back steps of the science building, and I sat down and I cried. And I cried and I cried and I cried, and I cried because I was afraid. I was afraid of failing, I was afraid, at that moment, and of course, you know, girls on it's like all over the place. So, I was afraid I was going to fail the class, and I was afraid Dr. Rodgers was going to be disappointed in me. I was afraid my parents would disown me, because now I wasn't going to graduate, and I, you know, just, and the fear, the fear fed, the fear fed, the fear fed, the fear, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. It was out of control. And I'm sitting there on the back steps crying and shaking from the fear. I can't find parasites. That's usually a good thing, right? <laughs> so, and then, and then you gotta love it, right? So, just it's so fearful. The word of the Lord came to me. And I heard it first up here. And if Justin was in here, it was in the King James at that time. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, but of power and love and a sound mind. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. For God has not, and I, I heard it here, and then I said it, and then I began to hear myself say it, and when I heard myself, and I was chanting it, I mean, I was saying, and then I, it, then it went from my mouth to my heart, and because I had to get up off the steps and go back inside. And so I did. So I went back, let me tell you myself, I got up, I, that, that calmed me, calmed me down, and I got up off the steps, and I went back inside. And, you know, things like this are funny or interesting to me, to say the least. Now, I don't know if, you know, now a dog that was previously clean of parasites somehow now has parasites on it. Or if I was completely blinded to them so that I could go have my moment on the stairs with God and come back in. But I had parasites to share. Which wasn't cheating, by the way. I just need to say that. Screw <laughs> that. I had ticks and I had fleas and I had inter got internal. I got everything I needed for that lab. And a few minutes before, no parasites that I could find. And, but guess what? That's not, that, the parasite finding, that's not the waterfall. The stairs are the waterfall. Because on the stairs, when fear was visceral and overwhelming to me, the Word of God came and washed it away. Washed it away. And it's probably no surprise that 2 Timothy 1.7 is one of my life verses. Have I been fearful since? Absolutely. Have I had that kind of overwhelming fear that I let get out of control? Absolutely not. Because I have my stairs moment. I go back, God, you met me there. That was real then. And, and, and at that moment, probably for the first time in my life, the Word of God was, no, was not just words on a page, but it was living and breathing and working in me in a way that I had never experienced before. So there's the parasites. So I finish my I finish up my work at Lee, and before I finish up my work at Lee, I meet Michael, who is a legend on campus, and uh, and uh, and we got married. Uh, we got married before I graduated. We, we met in 1983 in February of 1983. We were married January of 1984. 
provides their uh, their marriages as waterfalls, and that's awesome. But this is just like a big old ocean of good. That's what that's been. It's just, uh, uh, you know, he's I've poured so much grace into my life, and uh, and it's just been a wonderful ride. But when we got married, we did not know how to be married people. You know, that's we we, we didn't. And we, you know, it was a it was a, a a lot of fun learning how to be married people and how to make that all work. And one of the things that we did was um, we surrounded ourselves with other young adults who were really hard after God. And so we had some small group Bible studies. I have an older friend. She's like, when you get together in your small group Bible study, like, who is the leader? And I was like, well, we, it was like, there were, there were six of us. Two other couples, me and Michael too. And I was like, well, well, Anne, we don't, we don't have a leader. She was like, well, who settles the disputes? Or who, who gives you the answer? And I was like, sometimes we don't have one. And it frustrates me to death. Because I was the tired of the bow, you know, person. And some of the other guys would be just like, what is, you know? And I was like, well, we believe the Holy Spirit will teach us as we just gather around the board. And she was like, I don't know. I love my friend Anne. She's great. She was a real mentor for me at, in, in my workplace. But so, so we, we did that. We surrounded ourselves with people who were hard after God. And, you know, and then that was the, the uh, late 80s and early 90s. And, you know, people today think that, like, river services and soaking services are new. Man, we didn't got nothing on us. We did all that stuff back then, too. <laughs> so, yeah, that's all, that's all good. Um, so, uh, so we did that kind of thing. And then... In 1995, God began to shape something in our lives, and we knew a big change was coming. So this is the, the change that came was that God moved us out of Cleveland, Tennessee, which is where we were living, out of the nice, warm, wonderful Church of God cocoon in Cleveland, Tennessee, where we knew everybody and everybody knew us, and you know, we were kind of a big deal. So I did write it down and I actually shared it with our small group at the time. I was walking and praying. 
living in our neighborhood. Now, at this time, if you've kind of done some of the math, I am a mid-30s age woman, and I am still, you know, I've had a lot of maturing, a lot of good teaching, but I've still got some places where, you know, there's a lot of obedience here, and not so I don't know what I'm doing here, you know, a lot, and, and a lot of still some misunderstanding, still a lot of striving in my own strength, and, and I, I really hated that, but that's just, that's kind of how I was wired, and how I, I'm a, I'm a pleaser, and, um, and I, I, I really struggled in that area. And I was walking and praying in our neighborhood. And, you know, it was, I don't say it was a vision, but I certainly got a picture. And I, this doesn't happen to me very often. But I got a picture. You back up. I won't go out completely out of life. But this is kind of what I thought. And I was trying to traverse this great cavern high. Oh, my God. High on this tight, thin rope. Trying to maintain my own balance. Trying to get there on my own strength. And what God showed me in the picture, God said, God said to me, that's how you have always viewed my grace. That it's thin and tight and easy to fall off. And And then the perspective of the picture in my mind changed. And I don't know if it was like, okay, I can now turn around and went sideways or up or like, well, then what I saw was what was underneath me. And underneath me was the most magnificent and beautiful and resilient safety net you have ever seen. And God said, that's great. And it's there for you to use and to fall into when you come off the rope. Because you're coming off the rope. And that's my third article. That truth in that own time of reflection and private prayer time, that picture that God gave me, it changed, it freed me, it changed me, it gave me more grace. I mean, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace is abundant. I knew them. I could say them, but I didn't live them. And I, and it freed me. It didn't free me to sin, like where more sin, where uh, that grace would abound more, where sin abounds more. That wasn't it. That wasn't more what it was about. It was about I didn't trust God the way I needed to trust God. And He showed me that I could. He was very, very trustworthy. Those are my three waterfalls for you. Ottoman, Parasite, and the Tightrope. Now let me talk to you. I'm going to go back to uh, Michael and I have been a part of three churches in our married life. The church that we were uh, a part of in Cleveland, and the church that we went to in Cold Spring, and then uh, a Smyrna Assembly Springhouse. And, um, and I say that because one of the things that Barbie asked us to do was share a little bit about how God works in our lives to keep us uh, to, uh, you know, to keep me in relationship with him and moving and growing. And so uh, one, one of those ways is body life, is church life. Uh, we, have, uh, we have never not been a part of a church, of a church body, a larger church body. And that's just what God has called us to. When God in, in 1999, when we 
felt the Lord releasing us from uh, the congregation that we were a part of in Cool Springs, uh, it was a real tenuous time for us because we had never not had a home church. We didn't know we like, that was so brand new. So actually what happened, the, the, uh, the late summer and fall uh, that we were visiting churches, there was about, not quite, maybe not quite six months, but um, uh, the Lord sent us to Belmont. And Belmont was our home base church. And then we would visit. So we'd go to Belmont one week and we'd visit a church. And we'd go back to Belmont and then we would visit another church. Well, because we knew Belmont wasn't supposed to be our home church. We, we were asking God, you know, where to place us. But we knew we needed some stability. Our, our kids needed some consistency to something. And, uh, and so that whole seeking out a congregation was, uh, was really very interesting. Because there are a lot of unhealthy churches out there. But, but there, praise God, are a lot that are healthier than others. And one of the things that I asked the Lord when we were uh, uh, changing congregations was, Lord, can we please go to church in our town? And so we visited, we visited all around the different churches here in Smyrna. And uh, I will, uh, the first time I came to uh, church here was on a Wednesday night. It was a Wednesday night in December, and there was a little children's, a little kids' program. Uh, going on, and so I came and I observed that, and uh, thought that that was really cool that the kids, because I'd done kids choir and stuff before, and so that was really uh, uh, kind of neat. And then the first big event that I came to was uh, then that Christmas. Uh, I don't know, Michael, did you come too? I came back to see Christmas Carol. I know, I, I know, I came to see it. I don't remember if you did or not. Michael was with the kids. I came to see Christmas Carol, and I thought that was fantastic. But I wasn't a theater person. So I, you know, like that, that's awesome. It was beautifully done. Loved it. Loved that whole idea. But, you know, that wasn't a part of my, my past DNA. So it's just fantastic. What got us here, actually, probably more than anything, and Ronnie, I, I doubt we've ever told you this, but we, uh, I was just sitting off on the platform. Um, and, um, so we were, uh, you know, so we had been here several times and stuff, and one of the conversations that Michael and I had, he said, um, well, the, his, uh, we did visit one church, and our son, uh, Andrew, uh, was, didn't, go to kids, didn't go to children's church with us. He, he sat in the congregation with us and said kind of loudly during the sermon, why is that man yelling at us? So we were, and that wasn't wrong, by the way. That was, that, 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 he, thought the, he thought the pastor was angry with us. So uh, we didn't go back there. So, uh, because Andrew had a totally embarrassing. <laughs> Not true. Um, so, but one of the things that we discussed was that Ronnie, at that time, that was pre-iPad. Um, uh, pre, pre, but it has a point. Pre-iPad, but Ronnie, uh, Ronnie taught from a manuscript. And one of the discussions that Michael and I had was what comfort we had in the fact that our pastor came to the pulpit with a manuscript and notes because he had thought about what he was going to say. And he wasn't shooting from the hip. And that was really important to us. And so God placed us here and we and we've been here ever since. Uh, so being a part of the local body. Um, you know, my, my Bible reading and my prayer life is, is as undulating and as changing as uh, as my, uh, it's just about anything else on my walk with the Lord. Uh, I've been a part of all different kinds of Bible studies and done all different kinds of Bible reading plans and, uh, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. That's what I say about, you know, that. I, I just, I'll just try just about anything to get me connected, but always seeking a way to be connected. And as my schedule has changed, that's changed, you know, from time to time. I can't do morning studies now, so I've got to find something else, another way to plug in. Uh, but looking for small groups. 
And, um, and Michael and I have uh, always tried to open our home, to have people in our home. That's one of the things that, we, that we've done uh, because of where our life has been recently. Those were mostly teenagers and young adults. Um, but we just, uh, we never really talked about it as a calling, but we just thought we were supposed to live our life in front of people and let people see, you know, how we, how we did life and how we watched football and, you know, and, you know, and, and, and how we ate. And so a bunch of, bunch of people in our home, uh, we did that. The other thing that we did is, uh, we, we have always served. Now I told you that my parents modeled that for me. Um, and, uh, team, you can come on back up. Because we're going we're gonna to worship a little bit more. Um, the, uh, about modeling service. And I have to be real careful in this category because if, when you take a, uh, when I take a spiritual gifting test, service is, you know, real, service is high on my thing. And if service is your thing and people don't serve, you have to break the spin and a tight rope. Yeah, so you have to be really careful. That you let people move in their own gifting, but um, the best one thing is we've always done. We've always done part of the body. We've always found a way to serve. Christine Kane, who is a speaker out of uh, out of Australia, uh, with the uh, in the with the Hillsong group, she says that if you're not looking for a position or a platform, there's always a place to serve, and that's what I found. Because everything that I you know I've done a bunch of things that nobody knew I was doing. And nobody saw what I was doing. And if that's your heart, you can always find a place to serve. If you're not trying to listen, if you don't care who sees it, uh, or, or if it gets the credit for it, you just do what you need to do. So that's one of the things. Uh, and that's really important. Because as you, actually the Lord said this to me this week, because you know, everybody gets junk hanging all over them. And as we walk through the world, and when you run up against people in the body of Christ, one of two things happen. And it kind of depends on your how how you are and how you're accepting it at the time. But when you've got stuff on you, like you're rubbing against people, it either gets knocked off or it gets pushed in. And when you are around people, we polish each other. We can knock the stuff off of each other. 